Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 52, The Omega Glory. Taking our ground, and we're planting a flag. It's Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and we're not going anywhere. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Today on the show that seeks out the morals, messages, and meanings of Star Trek, we've got a tribute to old glory. It's the Omega Glory going into the Mission Log, or as I like to call it, Star Trek Pre-Insurrection. I see what you did there. You like that? <laughs> Yeah, it's a little foreshadowing. And like 120 you know? years after this episode, yeah, people are going to be busting their gut. <laughs> if there's one thing to learn, it's that uh, if if you're a Starfleet captain and you're dedicated to upholding the Prime Directive, Star Trek teaches us you get to throw all of that out the window when there's the promise of eternal youth. No, you see, here's the thing, actually, and this is this <laughs> yeah. is not this is not this episode. Okay, this is not. We're not going to go ahead and sum up the episode right now, but. I have noticed all throughout the original series, mm-hmm. life prolongation will get you every time. Trying yeah, to extend there, there life, a lot of that. be you, Dr. Roger Corby, be you, you know, the scientists who wrecked Miri's planet, be you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Captain Tracy. And I know people listening may not know who Captain Tracy is yet, but stay tuned. Uh, yeah, trying to live forever, quickest way to death. Yeah. <laughs> Do not mess with Mother Nature. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. Uh, yeah. So uh, before we get into the uh, the nitty gritty detail of Captain Tracy and uh, where he goes wrong in the Omega Glory, how about uh, I give you a little trivia? Why not? All right. So uh, it is worth noting that uh, the Omega Glory is one of the three original treatments considered for the second pilot of Star Trek. Obviously, the pilot was the cage. And then when it came time to do their second pilot, they considered doing Where No Man Has Gone Before, which is what they ultimately went with, Mud's Women, and the Omega Glory. Now, the story was written by Gene Roddenberry. It was rejected internally for uh, the pilot because of its many story problems. And Bob Justman says that Gene was aware of the problems with the story, Uh, but it was later then submitted to uh, NBC executive Stanley Robertson by producer of the second season, John Meredith Lucas. It was rejected again by the executives (laughs) as the second draft wasn't different enough. Um, Finally, they worked that out. They were able to get approval on the episode. Uh, Bob Justman says that he wrote a long memo about this episode directly to Gene, but he felt that it was too devastating to send. So he tore it up. He never sent the memo. He gave his comments in person, um, but that was it. That was all that he uh, uh, conversed with Gene about. And Gene ultimately submitted this story for an Emmy nomination. He did not get a nomination, but he submitted it for consideration. Let me back up for a second. Yeah, go right ahead. He wrote it down. He he decided it was too rough, so he wanted to say it to his face. Well, apparently he, he sugarcoated what he said to Gene's face. Uh, wow. Yeah, he, he okay. Gave him a few, gave him a few points, and and that was it. He just ignored the rest. Hey, you know yeah. what would be neat? Not this episode. You mean things like that? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it could have been a very short memo. Put it, putting a positive <laughs> spin on it. Hey, you know what would be really cool? A day yeah. at the beach instead of this episode. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not saying by the way, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about this episode. I'm saying if the if the memo yeah. was that bad. I'm trying right. to think how you would sugarcoat it if you yeah. were like, oh, we should just burn that piece of paper to make sure that nobody ever sees it ever. You're just, you're very diplomatic. You're putting yourself into Bob Justman's shoes at that time. <laughs> hey, you so know what How be, can we spin this? You know what would be great? A three-day bender <laughs> rather than this show. <laughs> right. Good. I, I like that. I like your, I like your memo technique. I got a million Good. of them. But please, right. please, you were doing trivia and I would love it if you would continue. Okay. So a couple more things to note. Uh, the Bible that the Yangs use in the, uh, in this episode where they open up the book, uh, and look at the image of Spock. Um, well, the image of the devil that looks like Spock. Uh, it is open to the Old Testament book of Haggai. And uh, that's spelled H-A-G-G-A-I, uh, chapters one and two. And it seems like this is a sort of a, a random thing. That chapter has more to do with man's priorities toward God, like building temples and that kind of thing, and very little to do with a, uh, a Vulcan-ish devil. Um, a couple of uh, cast members worth pointing out. Uh, Roy Jensen, who plays Cloud William in the episode, was a pro football player, uh, but he stayed very busy as an actor in TV film, known for roles in Chinatown and Soylent Green. And in this episode, his voice was altered. They slowed him down a little bit. He kind of sounds like Ted Cassidy, kind of sounds like Lurch or Ruck, if you've been uh, playing along with Mission Log. No, he just sounds like somebody whose voice they've slowed down. (laughs) I mean, he really does. Like when he starts going... Freedom. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ken as Cloud William. Good job. <laughs> and not as Rock. Go ahead. Yeah. Not as Rock. Uh, Morgan Woodward, who plays Captain Tracy. Uh, he was primarily known for Westerns, did a lot of Westerns. In fact, he holds the record for guest appearances on Gunsmoke and Wagon Train more than any other guest actor. Uh, he has won several Lifetime Achievement Awards and he even has a street named after him in Arlington, Texas. Um, and in his spare time, he was a pilot and he restores vintage aircraft. And um, a final thing worth noting about this episode, uh, this aired on March 1st, 1968, and NBC ran a renewal notice at the end of the episode that Star Trek would indeed be coming back for season three. And please, no more letters. Now seems the perfect time to announce that Mission Log will come back as well. Though please, keep sending your letters. Prologue. The Enterprise is near the planet Omega-4 when a vessel is discovered nearby. Hey, it's one of ours, the Exeter. And since they're not responding to anyone, we'll just beam over to see how they're doing. Oh, they're not doing so well at all. In fact, they're doing very badly. The entire crew are just little piles of minerals where their fleshy bodies used to be. Act 1. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, along with Lieutenant Galloway, who was wearing a very fashionable red shirt, wander the Exeter to find something, anything, to clue them in to what happened to the crew. McCoy confirms it. Those piles of minerals are what's left when all the water is removed from a human body. Neat trick. I wonder if the Kelvins know about this. The very last log tape made by an Exeter crew member says that they were hit with a virus from the planet below, wiping out everyone except for Captain Ron Tracy, who is still on the surface. Time to beam down and find Ron. 
They do beam down to Omega-4 and find themselves right in the middle of a dispute. One group is holding down a man and a woman who are dressed in primitive clothing and out of it all who steps in but Captain Ron Tracy. It's enough of a distraction that the villagers take Tracy's order to lock up the savages rather than kill them. Those savages are yangs, according to Tracy, and you can't reason with them. The villagers, on the other hand, are a bit more civilized. And when one of them references fireboxes, Spock calls out Tracy about how they should know about phasers. Hmm. Tracy explains that the villagers, the combs, are friendly enough, but when his crew beamed down, they started dying. Tracy stayed on the planet assuming that he is safe there. If the Enterprise crew returns to their ship, they will surely die too. Kirk is concerned that Captain Tracy has contaminated the planet's culture. It's a violation of some oft-overlooked minuscule rule called the Prime Directive, and it makes Kirk really upset when someone violates it. See also A Taste of Armageddon, The Apple, Return of the Archons, etc. McCoy is trying to work out the details of their infection. They definitely have whatever it is that killed the Exeter crew, but they're okay as long as they stay on Omega-4. He thinks the infection is kind of like an old earth biological warfare agent. At that moment, Spock bursts into the room holding an injured Lieutenant Galloway. The Yangs got him with a lance during an ambush. Tracy is right that the Yangs are brutal, but he hasn't been forthcoming about his involvement. Tracy has been using his phasers against the Yangs, and Kirk is about to call the Enterprise to alert Starfleet that a serious prime directive violation is going on. Too late. Now Tracy bursts in and holds the group at phaser point. Just for good measure, he vaporizes Lieutenant Galloway. Guess that'll teach him to wear a red shirt. Act 2. Now that Tracy's got their attention, it's time for a chat. He calls the Enterprise and tells Sulu that the landing party are too sick to check in. Kirk tries to intervene, but one of the combs knocks him out. When he wakes up, bound and on the floor, Kirk tries to fight his captor, but again, in comes Tracy with a phaser. Now... Seriously, let's talk. The people of Omega-4 have got it pretty good. They never get sick. In fact, they can live to be a thousand years old or more. Tracy sees this as an opportunity. No disease, a fountain of youth. Kirk doesn't like this line of exploitation, and he breaks out of his binding. He's going to answer Tracy's business proposal with his fists. And then he gets his ass handed to him. Time for a new stop on our tour of Omega-4, jail. Spock is in one cell, and Kirk is thrown into his cell with the vicious yangs he saw earlier. Better cue up that fight music again. Kirk is about to have it out with a fur-wearing brute. Things are looking bad for Kirk, but Spock reaches through the bars and applies a nerve pinch to the savage woman in the cell with them. Her passing out is enough to cease the fighting, at least for a moment. Spock encourages Kirk to work on the metal bars of his cell. He may be able to get out. As they chat, Kirk and Spock note the interesting Earth parallels. The civilization used to be thriving, but a war of some sort has retarded their technological growth. The yellow civilization has been triumphant, while the white one has turned to savagery. Their words, not mine. Kirk makes an offhand comment about breaking out of his jail to regain their freedom, and with that word, the savage Yang, who gave him a good beating, finally speaks. Freedom is a holy word. Kirk starts to reason with him. They work together to remove the bars from the window, but the Yang uses that bar to knock out Kirk. Act 3. Kirk finally wakes up more than seven hours later, alone in his cell. 
No worry. The window is still clear and Kirk sneaks around to grab the keys. He and Spock go back to where they originally left McCoy and there has been a breakthrough. There is no miracle cure. The long-term exposure to the planet has already made them immune to whatever infection killed the Exeter crew, but it's no fountain of youth. The people on this planet live longer because it's their natural evolution. Kirk is ready to signal the Enterprise, but who crashes this party again but Captain Tracy? He of a trigger-happy phaser finger, and he destroys their computer. He looks like he's been through it all right. The Yangs have been attacking probably signaled by the one Kirk helped escape, and Tracy has been mowing them down with his phaser. Kirk breaks the bad news. Look, Captain Crazy, I I mean, Tracy, there is no fountain of youth. We're back to square one, and your scheme isn't going to work either. Let's just let it all go. Tracy has other plans, though. He tells Kirk to signal the Enterprise and have them beam down ten phasers, but Kirk demurs when he gets Uhura and Sulu on the line. You know what we haven't had in a few minutes? A fight. Kirk thinks so too, and he slaps the phaser out of Tracy's hand, and they go at it again. Kirk may be getting better at this, and he may even have the upper hand at one point, but a bunch of Yangs show up and interrupt the fight. They are taken along with Spock and McCoy to a room full of Yangs. The speculation gets a little deeper now. This parallel development means that the Yangs are sort of the Yanks of this planet, and the Combs are the communists. The parallel is a little too close, as Spock points out, but hey, we're this far along, we might as well go with it. Just then, a Yang honor guard enters the room holding what looks an awful lot like a United States flag as the music cue blares a phrase from our national anthem. Act 4. That giant savage introduces himself. He is Cloud William, the leader of this cabal of Yangs, and the Yangs have taken back their land. As he starts reciting the Pledge of Allegiance in an adorably alien way, Kirk joins in to finish the words. Cloud William is a little stunned, but Kirk lets on that his people have the same holy words where he comes from, way out there among the distant points of light in the sky. Tracy, who just can't keep his mouth shut at the right time, jumps in to say that Kirk and his crew were cast out of heaven. Even while Kirk was giving a pretty good science lesson about the problem of confusing the stars with heaven— To prove it, Tracy jumps in with the assertion that God would strike him down if he were telling a lie. He doesn't get struck down. Kirk is the one using the holy words to trick him. And just look at Spock. He even looks like the devil. Fortunately, the Yangs have a copy of their very own holy Bible nearby. And yep, right there in the illustrations is a guy with pointed ears. Tracy really lays it on thick when he tells the Yangs that Spock has no heart. Well, actually, Vulcan physiology is different, but this is still not the time for a science lesson. Cloud William decides to challenge Kirk by asking him to repeat the holy words. Again, the translation isn't quite right, and Kirk has no idea what they are. He asks for a reprieve, though, asking if the holy book says that good will win over evil. Kirk sees this as an opportunity to take out Taylor again, and hey, haven't we gone long enough without another fight? McCoy is worried, but the fight begins. Taylor and Kirk have their wrists tied together, but instead of beat it playing, it's time for that Star Trek fight music again. While all this is going on, Spock pulls a new trick out of his cranium, a kind of remote telekinetic mind control in which he instructs Cloud Williams' woman to fetch his communicator. It must have worked because just as Kirk does have the upper hand with a knife at Taylor's throat, Sulu and an armed crew from the Enterprise beam down. Cloud William now assumes Kirk is a god. 
He's all ready to get with the worshipping. Kirk says no, he's no god, and the only reason he didn't recognize the holy words at first is that they were doing it all wrong. Step back. Time for Kirk to show you how it's done with a serious dramatic interpretation of the preamble to the Constitution. It's full of heart and sweat and Shatner. These words are meant to be for all people, to be lived and loved. Cloud William vows to uphold the holy words after this little civics lesson. Now to the matter of Captain Tracy. Spock says he is definitely guilty of violating the prime directive. But what about Kirk and the Enterprise crew? Nah. <laughs> I'm with Kirk on that one. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's okay. Words are already Tracy. written down. The words are already written down. He's just saying, hey, pay attention to the words that you've already written down. He didn't go mm-hmm. and incorrect our constitution. Mm-hmm. He just, you know, said, hey, look at your constitution. Huh? Yeah, he just, he just beamed in and, uh, and and had his guards beamed down. Yeah, I mean, the damage has been done, I guess. Exactly. So you, you have to sort of undo it a little bit. Uh, but hey, you know, again, what did we learn from Ghostbusters that, uh, that Kirk got wrong? If somebody asks you if you're a god, you say <laughs> you yes. Say yes. <laughs> that, that might have helped. Yeah, we well, know. you know, maybe, although – it kind of would have gone against the message of the show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Seems to me. Um, you know, you have to wonder if when Kirk was reading their constitution, he read the preamble and he did it very dramatically, told them how important it was. I hope somebody stuck around to read the rest of it to make sure that other things were okay in there. We know this is an alien culture. We don't know if they got some things wrong. Hopefully they already have the 19th Amendment in there. You are such a weirdo. <laughs> why is that because is that? it's obviously evolved along the exact same lines if we're going to accept that and i don't know oh. if we should but if we're going to accept that i mean they have red white and blue on their flag for crying out loud and though we don't Me see too. kirk count the stars it looks like there are 50 okay so i okay, mean yeah, I, i'll buy that I, th- yeah. I don't think we're gonna have to go now you do make an interesting point as far as each amendment being added though that is kind of interesting like did yeah, they get so, over? Did they get over prohibition, or is it still in force? Or did they no. even get to prohibition? We don't know. Yeah, yeah we don't. Yeah, yeah. And, and who knows? Right now on Omega Four, there might be uh, alternate Ken and alternate John doing their own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's that close, Ken. It, it, it's well, that close. Except, of course, um, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, because you know, it, there, there's a definite turning point in their society, which would appear to be. Um, the dominoes that everybody was worried about around the Vietnam War actually do fall. Yeah, which is how we end up. Uh, which is how we end up with serenity, kind of. Right, right. <laughs> right. But yes. uh, but different. Yeah, or Firefly um, rather. Excuse me. Serenity was the movie. Firefly was the show. Go ahead. Well, yeah. yeah. Um. So a few things that I liked here. I remember how I said that the dehydrated humans uh, from a week ago really freaked me out. Well, yeah. they. You know, dehydrated humans still freak me out. I thought that was kind of interesting, all the rock salt wearing uh, Starfleet well, uniforms. You know, I wondered actually if there had been an ice storm inside the Exeter. <laughs> it kind of looked like that. Just put, just put salt out. It'll be fine. And leave your yeah. clothes there, too, so the people – where was the hair? That was actually what I was wondering, and it's sort of terrible, and I know that would have wrecked the reveal. I mean, once we, yeah. you know, figure <laughs> yeah. out that, oh, it turns out those, you know – deposits of minerals are people you know right. like you didn't know but where was the hair but, but you could scoop all of that up though and put it into an ice cream churn <laughs> i kept actually i kept expecting kirk to be like licking his lips when he got down to the planet i don't know why exactly oh yeah we saw your crew right uh, anyway um 
Captain Ron Tracy. Uh, he's pretty awesome. He Boy, he does not allow himself to be bound by the uh, strictures of Starfleet rule. I believe that he is from the same graduating class as Commodore Matt Decker. Well, I mean, when you say he doesn't allow himself to be bound by the strictures, I mean, neither mm-hmm. does Kirk up until I mean, this is this is the episode. You know what Kirk reminds me of in this episode? He reminds me of somebody who heard about Jesus day before yesterday. Like somebody, you know, who's like, I was I was I was a drunk. I was laying in the gutter. You know, the guys I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people mm-hmm. who have like a like a like a long you know, like who've studied religion, who have sort of right, come to right. it. They've decided I'm talking about the guy who. You know, like 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 the like the Bruce McDonald McCullough song. Excuse me, Jesus is way cool. And I think I left mm-hmm. out a couple of expletives there because I mean it's sort of like that. You know, twenty four hours of just hearing about it. That's Kirk with the Prime Directive. Now, all of a sudden, he would die before he would violate the Prime Directive. Right, <laughs> right. And he actually says that. They say that I think in this episode. Yeah, that you would die. You would give up your ship. You would give up everything to protect the prime directive. Yeah. And we'll hear that again in a couple of weeks. And maybe it's because they really want you. They want to go ahead and all of a sudden sell this idea that the prime directive. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Matters. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because to this point, it hasn't. Now, I will say about uh, about Captain Tracy. He is like Mm -hmm. robo captain in this Mm -hmm. episode. Um, He looks older than Kirk. And yeah. we've seen Kirk handle himself in a fight really well. He's got nothing. He's got nothing on Captain Tracy. Uh, he looks tired, but he's never damaged. I am thinking somebody should check him for robot cuts. <laughs> he's um, He gets a little bit sweaty. He does. And, and, and he has awesome hair through the entire thing. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. He is attacked by all of the Yangs. Mm-hmm. And he still and he still comes back and he's like, Wow, kinda sucks I got attacked by all the Yangs. <laughs> and like, but you're still walking. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's cool. I mean he he's and, and that's what <laughs> sold the multiple fight scenes. Uh I don't know if I'd go so far as to say he's cool. Well, it, it, it's it's a cool character. Okay. I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah, and and the well, fight no, scenes. No, no, actually, I'm not with cool. you on that. Yeah, they, well, they, no, he's not a cool guy. It, you know what was surprising to me about the fight scenes? Honestly, uh, Shatner was in them. Yeah, right. In the no first kidding, season, right? it's very obvious that he's got a body double, and this one they actually yeah. like when they throw him against what I guess are sacks of wheat laying next to a building for some reason. Um, <laughs> when when Tracy throws Shatner into the sacks of wheat, the camera actually follows Shatner into the yeah. fall, and then follows Shatner getting up, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking. Was this part of the like the cost cutting thing where they're like, okay, well, Bill, we can either cut you or your stunt man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, really, we're going to leave it up to you. Yeah. Yeah, because all of a sudden he's getting thrown around like a, well, like a sack of wheat. Yeah. Uh, it, it, Tracy has some great character moments. I, it, when I say good, when I say cool, I mean that he's an awesome bad guy. He is. A, he he's is a, crazy. Yes, he is a great bad guy, and he's even got crazy eyes. I mean, he does. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, he does that well. Um, and, and his bit toward the end where he uh, he challenges Cloud William, it's just so brilliant when he says, and if I'm lying, may God strike me down. I, I think that's so fantastic. It reminds me, George Carlin does this rant about religion that uh, I, I can't even give you the title of it because it would not pass the uh, the language standards of our show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but you can look it up. And um, – He goes on this like nine minute rant and it's so funny because at the end he ends it with, and if I'm wrong, may God strike down all of you, (laughs) my entire audience. (laughs) So, yeah, pretty fabulous. Yeah, Um, What else is also fabulous is that uh, Spock's got a new power. 
Um, well, but, and here's the thing, though. It, it, it's one of those things that makes me feel like this is a carryover from the pilot. You know, okay. so things aren't quite as well defined. We don't know the limits of Spock's power. And, and there is actually something written up in the original drafts about how Spock has control over women. And this is kind of an early exploration of that. It's the kind of thing that you would think a story editor, after we've had 50 plus episodes leading into this, <laughs> would have cut or made a little different. But, you know, yeah. that's art. Well, I mean, it is it is key to getting uh, to getting them out of the jam, right? Yeah, well, it is key. But uh, Spock has done other creative things. I don't, it's something we see once; we'll never see it again. Um, it, at least not played out. You know what they could have done? They could have had that. like her leaning against a table and him leaning against a table, and then so you know he sort of does the mind meld uh, through the table, through the table, like he's done it through the wall and through the cave <laughs> before. Had there been yes. some sort of you know physical connection of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, at this point, I can't remember what we likened it to before, but at this point, it's basically, you know, Spock's power this week is whatever you need Spock's power to be. Yeah. To get you out of your jam. Right, right. And, and I would say that other kind of un, it, it, loose ends that, that go untied, the idea here about the parallel Earth, it's not really a parallel Earth. It's a planet with humanoids who just happen to have played out Earth's history with a few exceptions. Um, And this is another remnant probably from that unformed timeline about when the show is supposed to take place. You know, if if this was a pilot consideration, there is actually a line that got cut um, where there's some discussion between McCoy and Spock that these could be um, former earthlings who after the space program uh, launched and, and they colonized other planets. So if, if they hadn't decided when Star Trek takes place and it's not the 23rd century, it's way beyond that. Mm. You could kind of make a case for that and say, yeah, okay, well, maybe these were former Earthlings and that would be a reason to explain a, a lot of the similarities. Racism, classism, tribalism, jingoism, nationalism. The number of isms in this episode would totally depress Ferris Bueller. Bueller? Bueller? You know what would be better than uh, doing this segment, John? (laughs) (laughs) Going on a three-day bender? Uh, You know, whatever. Any of the ones that I mentioned before would be fine. Uh, You know, vacation? Sure. Three-day bender, if you want to. Uh, Whatever you like. Um, We both have a lot to say. We got a lot of notes. Yeah. Which which is surprising. Yeah. It's weird. This is a weird, weird episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's got a lot of stuff that we would normally just dismiss. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I'm captain of a starship at this point and we pull up to a planet that looks this much like Earth. Yes. Uh, Mr. Sulu hard left. <laughs> 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 and warp. Uh, well, w- what can you give me? Just warp away. Could we do yeah. that? Would that be all right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this episode that we would normally automatically say. <sighs> And we may end up saying that as well, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, 
Go, John, go. Just well, go. So as is the way that we do our show, we do not share our notes with each other. So, um, But now I, I look at this document and there's just like a ton of stuff here because it, it's a challenge. I'll start by saying that. Um, and I will also start by saying that there are there are many, many things that I like about this episode trying to grapple with other big Star Trek topics like the Prime Directive and, um, well, uh, all kinds of stuff in there. This fountain of youth idea that we get to revisit in Insurrection. But, but I have to start with some of the things that are just so obvious and so painful. Um, and speaking of pain, the, the irony was painful when Cloud William starts talking about uh, taking back the land that is rightfully theirs. And throughout the episode, we're talking about Chinese, essentially, Chinese communists, the Asiatics versus the Yanks. Um, but the idea oh, of... Oh, excuse me, versus yeah. the Yangs. Oh, Yangs, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but the idea of, uh, of savages and, and Cloud William's speech patterns makes me think, uh, obviously, about the horror of how we treated... Native Americans. And then I go, well, this whole idea about them taking the land back, well, you know, if we're saying that they're actually Yanks and they fly the American flag, are, are we saying that they are colonists or are we saying that they are Native Americans? So there's a little bit of a confusion there, I think, that sits uncomfortably. Um, and you have to wonder what the audience at the time got out of this or were they just more concerned about the express conflict between white Americans and the, it was shocking to me that Kirk says the yellow, the, the Asiatics in here. Yeah. Um, Kirk says even that after enough time, the Yangs um, and also his own people, therefore we're thinking Caucasian colonial Americans, would look like Native Americans if they were run out of civilization long enough. And no, no, from an evolutionary standpoint, they wouldn't. But but okay. Well, no. Wait um, a minute. Wait a minute. He didn't. He didn't mean physically. He said, you know, using spears and wearing pelts and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, something, says, that's something that we see repeatedly. I mean, that's what happened in uh, in Planet of the Apes as well in the original movie. It's not the reboot because we don't know uh, well, yet yeah. what happens in the reboot. But <laughs> right, in right. the original Planet of the Apes, I mean, when we come across Nova, it turns out she does have the power to speak, but not at the beginning of the movie. She's wearing uh, she's wearing leather. And not yeah. not like sexy Catwoman leather, more like um, you know <laughs> pulled like off sexy some. Nova yeah, right. yeah, well, yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it doesn't not work. I mean, it's just yeah, it's not. You know, she's not wearing, you know, fashioned sure. by X fashion house. See, I interpreted that line differently because he, he says it, that line is two parts. We, we would act like them. We would behave the same way and we would look like them. We would start to look like them. So I, I picked it up as like this physical change mm, in I them. I didn't hear but, it that way. I mean, not, yeah, that's, not that there's yeah, not yeah. plenty to be offended by. Well, well, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just getting warmed up, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, a few of our listeners have pointed out the episodes where the dark-haired, swarthy bad guys are up against the clean-cut, blonde good guys. We see that again here, too. We saw it in A Private Little War. And it, it just sort of – it takes the wind out of my sails when I watch this episode. And the biggest shame is that our enlightened crew can only see that the Yangs are right because we are more like them. And the Yangs are the noble savages, and now we've just determined that the Asiatics are the bad guys. Okay. Um, and what I wanted is a more Star Trek way to approach this. 
You see, I didn't see, I did not see that the people that were holding them were the bad guys necessarily. It felt to me like Tracy was the bad guy and Tracy mm. was sort of controlling the people in the city. Um, and so then they do his bidding. I didn't feel like uh, the people in the city would have held Kirk, Spock and McCoy at, at, at sword point had Tracy not been there with a phaser. Hmm. Now you see the thing about the thing about this episode to me is it, we assume I think that the battle in this alternate Earth past was I mean as you keep saying Asiatics I mean this mm-hmm. this was this was the good guys lost Vietnam and yeah. you know we say good yeah. guys because you know we're the good guys right. <laughs> and yeah. yeah and it's sixty eight so we don't know how that's going to go it's inconceivable that that war is going to end in a draw as far as people are concerned it's inconceivable that we're going to lose. Because, you know, we're America and we've never lost a war and we've, you know, not had a draw. And so, you know, we, 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 we helped win World War One. We helped win World War Two. Eh, Korea was just a police action. So we're not going to count that one. Necessarily. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, we won the War of 1812. We won the French and Indian War. <laughs> and, and, and we weren't even named in that one. So, I mean, you know, I mean, so so the idea that we're not going to win. So you can kind of turn you can. I mean, despite the how horrible. You know, Vietnam looks on TV in 1968 mm. at the time. I think we're probably assuming that, you know, given long enough, we're going to win. And so then we present this idea that, wow, what if we didn't win? Well, then here's mm. what happens. Um, watching it 50 years later, my fiance found the presentation of the comms or the combs uh, racist. But, you know, with that context of, OK, well, we're assuming a dividing point that we're not assuming at the time that we're watching it. That okay, the dominoes fall, and and the rest of the world gets taken over by by the you know communist Chinese or you know the Vietnamese or Southeast mm-hmm. Asians or however you want to put it. Um, I didn't get the sense that eventually they were bad. I I got the sense that we were talking about two warring factions. Now it is interesting to me that despite you know the all men are created equal message that that ends up coming out of this episode, or at least is espoused by Kirk. If the communists win, uh, the world never reverts back or never evolves past some sort of pre-industrial state. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, that's the war. That was because of the war that happened uh, and the biological war that you know made them all live for a thousand years. Um, but that war was apparently thousands of years ago. We know this because this guy's yeah. been alive for like 400 some odd years and his dad's over a thousand. And none of them remember this war that apparently made this happen. So it's been thousands of years and you know we're we're to the point of uh, swords and pelts and you know public beheadings, very Eden esque, a la <laughs> you know a private little war. Yeah, it's veritably Eden. <laughs> it's the kind of Eden that Kurt can get behind, generally yeah. speaking. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it's uh, kind of weird. I mean, it, it the idea that we're not going to rebuild past that point. So I mean, there's still sort of a. It's. It doesn't feel like a racism thing to me, but it, I mean, definitely sort of a okay. Well, if the communists win, things are going to suck forever. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. But I think that's partly why it does feel racist. I mean, it, maybe it is just the visual cue here um, uh, of having the, like I said, the blonde-haired white people against the entirely Asian cast who are playing the Combs, and and why it just feels so out of step with the best of what Star Trek has to offer yeah. is that I feel like through the entire episode, I'm just counting down the minutes until the white Americans win, you know? And, and what I would hope for is a more creative, more inclusive, more humanist 
message to be found here. But even if it's not racism, it's a kind of tribalism. Yes, that that really hurts. You know, so I, and maybe I'm using those words interchangeably here, but I I, I do think they both apply. Um, and that is an interesting, you know, it's so interesting. You and I are both kind of getting very wrapped up in this episode. And it's one of those where we really get to step out of what was intended by Star Trek and how we interpret it now. And I feel like one of the things here is the the difference between pride and just blindly following the group blindly following the orders or the tribe or the nation or whatever it is, assuming that everything that your side does is right. Um, have you ever read Al Franken's books? Uh, yes. Okay. So I, I know that he's a left-wing nut. That, that's my shout out for our conservative listeners there because I know you're out there. <laughs> what, um, what? But, All right. <laughs> but, but he's got a chapter in one of his books and I forget which one. And it's very funny because he's defending the idea that as a liberal um, – that he's not 100% behind everything that America does. And he's saying, well, wait, I'm just trying to be rational and reasonable and celebrate the things that we get right and call out the things that we get wrong. For example, you you go through this list and it's a long, it's maybe like a two-page spread, just line by line. It's like revolutionary war, good. Slavery, bad. World War II, good. Segregation, bad. And he's got a line for Native American casinos, and it's just question marks. I, I, I don't understand this one at all. Um, but, you know, that, that is a nuanced way of looking at tribalism, uh, of just blindly throwing your, your faith behind your country, your, your leaders, whatever, and saying that everything that they do is right. And I think that's what, um, that's what dismayed me about this episode, the flag waving. Uh, and it's sort of like that moment of recognition on Kirk, Spock and McCoy's face. It's like, oh, they're waving the right flag. Well, we have to reason with them now. No, nah, I disagree. What? Well, I think you and I, I think you and I had, I think you did what I was tempted to do. Okay. Um, the flag comes in and my immediate reaction is it's checkout time. <laughs> but but it's not because I have a lack of respect for the flag or you know or the republic for which it stands. No, and that, I don't want that to be my right. feeling either. But but go ahead. No, the reason I want to check out is because wow, I mean it just doesn't belong. It doesn't mm-hmm. belong here. I mean this is another planet with absolutely no tie to Earth whatsoever. It's not like in a piece of the action where you know. You know, where this like race of Rich Littles or Fred Travelinas or whoever's like a, a famous imitator of other people today. It's not like, you know, we left something and 100 years later. Now, when you say the whole thing about, well, it could have been a pilot and this could have been whatever, that's fine, but it's not stated. So it just yeah, comes yeah. off as, no, this is dumb. This is yeah. dumb that they have an American flag and that they have the exact same constitution. And so shut up. Here's how I justify the episode. The first three acts, I think, are pretty solid as as a bit of science fiction, as a bit of treatment about the Prime Directive. Totally agree with you. The fourth act is one mega, you see, Timmy. Hmm. And it's a message against blind patriotism for followers and against using patriotism to do bad things for leaders. I mean, what Kirk said, he didn't just say, you're doing it wrong. Kirk said, I didn't recognize those words, you said them so badly, without meaning. The warning, you know, that's being issued there is not, you know, let ideas and ideals be replaced by national, like nationalism or zeal. Don't do that. Like, think mm-hmm. about the words that you're saying and, and, and think about what the words actually mean. That's what makes our way of life worthy. 
It's not dogmatic devotion to the flag, but a sincere belief in what the words for which that flag stands, for the words that it represents. Mm-hmm. Kirk's inability to immediately recall the preamble of the Constitution and Tracy seizing on that reminded me of the stones that people were throwing at, at, at senators and congressmen, people who had been elected to office post 9-11 who didn't get on it quick enough to wear a flag lapel on their pin. Mm-hmm. Well, they must be not American. Right. right. <laughs> Never mind yeah. the fact they grew up here and we elected them and they're working in Washington. They're not, you know, they're not beating their chest in the exact same way that I'm beating my chest. They have to put right. on their flag lapel or else, you know, uh, okay. right. <laughs> right. the whole thing about, you know, this was not written for chiefs. It just, it, it, it spoke <laughs> to me, but I mean, it's two different shows. It didn't strike me as nationalism at that point because Kirk sits there and says, look, this is not just a piece of paper. Don't carry this in a box. I mean, he takes it out. He didn't crumple mm-hmm. it up, but he takes it out and he's like, look, these words have never been written this way before. We've been to a lot of planets. We've seen a lot of societies and these words. I mean, this is basically this is basically somebody took the last 10 minutes of Star Trek to say, hey, America, you might be doing it wrong. And so let's talk about. I mean, you joked about it being a civics lesson. It's a straight-up civics lesson. It (laughs) It is is a straight-up civics lesson at the end of it. Yeah. Um, Kirk saying that these words have to apply to your enemy. I mean, he he doesn't say enemy. He says, you know, it has to apply to the Combs the same as it does for the Yangs. Or they're meaningless. It's fascinating to me. You said this episode aired on March 1st. Yeah. 1968. Yep. March 16th. 1968 is the My Lai Massacre. Now, we won't find out about it until 1969, but yeah. something horrible is happening at the time that this show is on. And maybe some of that is like happening back here as well. And so for the writers of this show to say, look, it's not just about the flag. It's about why we have this flag. I mean, to stand up and say all that to me was absolutely amazing. A la, honestly, the Corbomite maneuver. Now... <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, uh, it's like, oh, I mean, so, I mean, they are two different things. Remember at the, you remember at the end of um, the Mr. T cartoon or the what? end of G.I. Joe, how sure. you had this whole show and then you got the last 30 seconds where they'll actually say, eat your vegetables, kids, right. you know, or something right. like that. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's obviously just so they can, you know, uh, pass off the Mr. T cartoon as an educational program. And that helps NBC, which I believe was the network that had it because they also had mm-hmm. the A-team. So they had that tight relationship with mm-hmm. T. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so they can pass it off as like community service and educational programming. This felt like that to me. Not that it was educational programming, but this felt like, okay, so we've got this 40-minute story. You've got a 40-minute story. Well, I've got like eight more minutes. <laughs> I know. Let's preach to America about how America can be more like America or more like the America that they want it to be or that we want it to be, that we say we want it to be. Liberty and freedom have to be more than just words, says Kirk. And forgive me, I know I'm all over the place, but so are my notes. I mean, (laughs) right? because for the first three acts of this show, I'm like, okay, interesting. Okay, interesting. Okay, we're we're just doing like an alt timeline thing. And, you know, okay, maybe your prime directive should mean something. And there's no, you know, shortcut to eternal life. (laughs) You know, these are all the things. Mm. And then in that fourth act, I'm like, wow, they just exploded a whole show I mean, they're, they're risking, like, the the integrity of the show just just to say to people, don't screw it up. Hmm. 
See, Ken, you're almost saving this episode for me. Almost. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let yeah. us pause here. Let us let the computer say something, and then let's come back. Okay. Wow. Condescension, thy names are Ken and John. Please, don't let me slow you down. Okay. When All last right. we left, our hosts, John Champion said... <laughs> Ken, you are almost saving this episode for me. Oh, forgive me, John. That was not my intention at all. But... This is not a good episode. <laughs> this episode is a hot mess. I don't like it that is. term. I don't like that term. But every time I've tried to figure out, this episode is a hot mess. And what's weird is, it's only so messy, it seems to me, because Acts 1 through 3 are almost completely disjointed from Act 4. Yeah. I'm fine with the Kirk speech. This this actually, since the Corbomite maneuver, is maybe my favorite Kirk speech. Because what? Really? Well, because really? he's speaking to us today. Yeah, you, if okay. you think this is not happening right now, if you think this is not a speech that... Sh- I'm, forgive me. Both the Democrats and the Republicans, and I think maybe the five independents or however many that are in Congress in the House and the Senate at this point, mm-hmm. need to be shown the last 10 minutes of this. In fact, I think... Anybody who's serving in any branch of our government should watch the last 10 minutes of this show. Well, maybe just the Kirk speech (laughs) all the time. I think it should be on a loop in their office to remind them of what the heck they're doing. And I'm not Mm. and that's not to say anything bad about the Democrats. It's not to say anything bad about the Republicans. That is to say, this is an excellent reminder of why, theoretically, we are who we are. This is, again, Kirk saying this is who you say you want to be, act like it. And that to me is absolutely fantastic. The rest of the show has issues, but it is, it's, <laughs> it's not a bad bit of science fiction. I wish, I, I, I do wish all the quote bad guys weren't Asian, except I didn't see them as bad guys. I saw them as warring factions. And in 1968, we're at war with a largely Asian population. I mean, yeah, backed by the Soviets or backed by somebody else, okay. But, I mean, we're at war at that time. We are Americans um, fighting against a, 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 a different race of people in addition to a different nationality of people. And so even that part, I'm kind of willing to let go. Um, but, I mean, this, 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 does not, this episode does not run smoothly. See, you were so close there, and, and I, I felt like – uh, I felt like you had won me over with your your impassioned defense of this episode. But to me, it, it, the whole thing just kind of collapses under its own weight. And maybe that's part of it. I feel like from a storytelling point of view, it, it just absolutely shoots itself in the foot. Um, I was intrigued by Captain Tracy. And I was yep. intrigued by the discussion of the Prime Directive yep. and and the idea of them being in the middle of a battle zone. All of this stuff I thought was great. And, and I think you nailed it. You know, you called my reaction, which is as soon as the flag came out, I checked out. And that... This, See, it, that's the, forgive me. It goes, back yeah, yeah. To, it goes back to what we were talking about in Patterns of Force. Why Nazis? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. If this was part of the pilot thing, then, okay, maybe it could be the American flag because these could be, you know, long ago forgotten people who left the earth and did whatever. But mm-hmm. having established that that actually didn't happen, which I think we fairly established throughout Star Trek, that that's not the kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah. Change yeah. the flag. Make, make, make it similar. Make yeah. it even eerily similar. But yeah. don't make it exact. 
And, I mean, and I think that's part of the problem is is then at, from a writer's standpoint, it just feels like preaching, and it and it feels like a just a strange, out of place, heavy handed thing. And, and again, I, I can't sort of get past this idea of the tribalism on display here. That that's what really resonates with me and just makes my skin crawl. See, that's the one you know? part that bothers me, though. Kirk actually speaks against that at the end. He I, speaks I, against the tribalism that you're talking about when he says. These words have to apply to the combs the same as they apply to you. Otherwise, they're worthless. Then, he, then, I mean, then my fingers against, are crossed. <laughs> he's against the tribalism that's being talked yeah. about here. It's on display all the way through it, but he is against the tribalism that you're talking about. Well, and I feel like it's still on display at the end because here we have our Enterprise crew, our enlightened Enterprise crew leaving again. Here you go. Here's your paperwork back. Now we're taking off. Good luck, everybody. You who have been fighting each other for thousands of years. Now the good guys are back in charge. And yeah, I, I appreciate that hopefully they have a renewed appreciation, a renewed understanding of those words on paper to be more than just words on paper. Um, but, I, but I'm worried for them. I'm worried for them that the old habits are going to come back very quickly. And when I say old habits, I mean a race-divided battle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, that's the thing. I'm, that, I'm more worried for the Combs. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Uh, because I, I feel like, okay, we helped you with the words. We, we had a great Shatner speech. See you later. You know, we might both be being a little bit unfair to this episode because I was ready before this discussion to say it doesn't work. I mean, it mm-hmm. was going to be one of those weird things where I was going to say message absolutely holds up. Mm-hmm. Episode does not. Episode yeah. doesn't work. But, I mean, there are a couple of things, and I think maybe we got so caught. I know I personally got so caught in the fourth act. Uh, what's up with our good guy siding with the bad guys? And I don't mean the bad guys. Like, it's not that the people in the town are actually bad. I mean, it's been thousands of years. We don't know who's good and who's bad at this point. It right. is kind of funny, though, that our guy just, you know, sort of picks a side. Oh, well, those guys look look terrible. Right. Those guys, right. they're the brutish, you know, awful whatever. Right. And once, I mean, and once we actually look into it a bit more, then we find out, hey, they're not that different. Well, guess what? Neither are the people in the city. We've been fine with the people in the city the whole time. We don't suddenly hate the people in the city because those guys are carrying an American flag. It's more like Kirk is, is waking up the Americans to what it means to be American or what it's supposed to be to be American. By the way. Shout out to the Canadian for giving such an impassioned preamble to the Constitution <laughs> right, read. I'm yeah, reading it going, yeah. oh, of course, Kirk's going to be that way. And I'm like, yeah, but Shatner's not. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I I mean, it's a ugh, it's a tough episode, but I, I, I may actually – it may go in that category that we've talked about before of like being such a weird, like sticky, gooey mess but with enough stuff in there to think about that I think it's worth watching. I don't know that it's going to be anybody's favorite and I don't know well, that I like it and I don't know that yeah. I want to watch it many more times. But um, in its to- own weird, incredibly quirky way, I might feel like it might almost work a little bit maybe. Uh, I will only back you up on that to say that um, it, it is worth watching if you have seen everything else that Star Trek has to offer. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen all the good stuff that is in Star Trek. Um, I'll also say that this is kind of a great example of a what if. What if we had just built this episode around Tracy on the planet and and everything that happens in Acts 1, 2, and 3 – 
And then had there been another episode that wasn't doing the Earth parallel, that wasn't doing the American flag, but really does get into this idea of how we apply freedom, how we give meaning to the things that we say are important, the, yeah. the ideals that we live by. Like, this is all great stuff. But as an episode, as a piece of writing, as a piece of TV production, I do not feel that it holds up. And it's too bad because um, I, I think, the, like I said, the character of Captain Tracy is great. Um, there's actually pretty good production value here, too. We got a lot of good location shots, like all of that stuff. There's so much here that could and should work. But it's the writing. And if you don't have the writing at the core to support the episode, if the if that jump from act three to act four is so jarring, so bad that we're still trying to grapple with it now, um, I feel like it kind of can't be forgiven. You know, that, that it's got to start with that. It's got to start with the with the writing to really hold it up. Mm. Um, so I, I say that it doesn't hold up, but even as I say that it doesn't hold up, and I do say that there are things about it that I like, I, I'm so respectful of your impassioned uh, uh, defense of this and, and interpretation of it, because it's still it's still taking me more to get over the things that I just found painful to watch here mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um but but let's talk about some of the messages that are here you know because i feel like at the time um yeah there are good solid messages about freedom being difficult and, and it is worth fighting for and um you know the the idea of the topics that we have dealt with in star trek before about Screwing around with Mother Nature, like you said, is another Miri kind of thing, but done better in that respect. Uh, Captain Taylor's greed on display um, as being a counterpoint to the way that an enlightened federation would behave. Um, that's great. I think all of that stuff is good. I still come away with this icky feeling of Americans or white Americans are good and and others are bad. It's just hard for me to get away from that watching this episode. Close your eyes next time. Okay. No, I mean, seriously, close your eyes next time because Kirk says, I mean, if you're not watching that everybody who is in the city is is of Asian descent and that everybody Mm -hmm. who is outside of the city is white, that doesn't come across. All you're getting is two warring political factions. And if all you're getting is two warring political factions at that point, you will hear Kirk say this has to apply to everybody or it's no good. That that line must not have been loud enough <laughs> for me yeah. because I, I do appreciate it. Oh, and the other thing that I learned from you this week, Ken, is that everybody should have a tight relationship with Mr. T. <laughs> Believe it. <laughs> That's from the song Mr. T's Commandments, by the way, which I believe was part of the uh, was part of the cartoon. I don't oh, know. I, it's I don't know. As you can tell, I, I, I really don't think we, – we try to come to some sort of conclusion at the end. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know that we have, but that's good because it just leaves, you know, it leaves the, uh, it leaves the channel open for more conversation. Speaking yeah. of which, if you would like to converse with us about what you think about this particular episode of Star Trek or this particular episode of Mission Log or any of the other episodes that we've covered or will cover at some point, uh, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, the handle – Mission Log Pod. Or you can call us 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Operators are not standing by, but if it makes you feel better, go ahead and tell yourself there are. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. 
that email address again, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And don't forget to check out our very nice home on the internet, missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Hey, speaking of upcoming episodes, next week, Ken, I know that you're a computer guy. I know that I'm a computer guy. But how about we look into the ultimate computer? Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I'm not sure how next week's show can be the ultimate computer. I don't remember ever doing an episode of Star Trek. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.